Welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little. It's a spooky podcast. Isn't no, okay, so we're it? we're a musical theater podcast, but this month is October, which I am told is a spooky month. I was not raised celebrating Halloween, so this is I'm trying. I'm trying to get into the spirit, and I figure what better way to get in the spirit of Halloween than with two Halloweeny musicals for the month of October. I, as always, am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz, and with me today, who who are you? I am Harrison Benjamin. Harrison, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. It has been a while, but luckily you are here to kick off our spoopy, spooky musical month. What musical are we doing first? We're doing one of my favorites. I grew up with the with the film version of this, and I'm very happy to be talking about Little Shop of Horrors. Horrors? Horrors. So before we get to anything else, background on this musical. So... Uh, stay tuned, listeners. Eventually, we will get to musicals that have not been on Broadway. Little Shop is technically a Broadway musical um, in the way that sort of Hedwig and the Angry Inches. So it played off-off-Broadway, and then it played off-Broadway starting in 1982 for five years. The Pretty score long. is by Alan Menken, and the lyrics are by... Howard Ashman. Late Howard Ashman. Now, every time we say his name, we need to take five full seconds of silence. Listeners, every time we mention Howard Ashman, I want you to pause, wait five seconds, and then press play. I love how Wikipedia calls it a horror comedy rock musical, because I'm like, yeah, yeah, it technically is. But this wasn't their first uh, collaboration, but it was an early one before they went on to Disney. So when we talk about plants eating sex workers and stuff, just remember, like, Little Shop of Horrors, Little Mermaid. See, I say it horrors. But it played off-Broadway for like five years. It was insanely popular. And in 2003, they were like, I guess let's bring it to Broadway. And they did. And it was, as we'll get to for Tony's, Broadway was like, it's a revival. So uh, as we'll get through, what I want to say is Howard Ashman is sort of so important for me. And then he's this lyricist who died tragically young. We can't get like emotional talking about a musical about a man-eating plant, but I just have a lot of feelings about Howard Ashman. So this musical is based on a 1960 Roger Corman film, this like horror comedy. B movie. It was, it was made as a B movie. Did you know it was like shot in about two days? Yeah. I did know that. They were for different. Try harder. Although the reasons why vary from possibly just because they were afraid that they were going to have to pay their actors more because it was before um, money was like the money was going to go up at the end of the year. So to get to our personal experiences with the musical, uh, what is yours first? Well, I always I grew up watching this movie. The movie was in '86, while it was still off Broadway. When I was in college, I saw a, stu- a production on the main stage at Binghamton University. So I got to see it on stage. Woo. So here's the thing with me. I saw the movie once some years ago. I've read the libretto. I hate scary things. I cannot watch horror movies. Like one time I decided to read on Wikipedia the plot summary for Paranormal Activity and I had to sleep with the lights on for a month. Wikipedia. So I know that this is horror humor. Yes. But it's actually a little bit difficult for me. Like really? I can get I can get horror humor like killing zombies funny, but people dying as humor is very difficult for me. Like in Sweeney Todd it's funny, but the actual murders themselves are not. Right. So this musical is a little bit difficult for me, so while I know the music, 
I very much skip around when I'm listening to it. I know certain songs suddenly see more, mm-hmm. for example, right. like the back of my hand. And then there are certain songs that I don't have as much connection to. Like because, Supper Time? Because I'm scared of it, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so... all of you listening at home, you know this musical because your high school did it. This show takes place... Well, there's an, there's an interesting framing device that sets up the show. There's a narrator who we, like, never hear from again who monologues. 21st day, the month of September. Yes, this musical just took place. This musical takes place on September 21st. Well, it's interesting that this musical takes place on Skid Row because it's a real place. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a rundown neighborhood in Los Angeles. Right. And then they transplanted it for the, um, for the stage version to New York. But the in the Do original, they? they don't overtly. When did they don't specify it's, New York? I've seen on the internet on more than one source saying New York. Well, that's, that's stupid. All. It doesn't feel like New York. Anyway, so an interesting thing about this musical is we have two opening numbers. Really, yeah. we have a framing device opening number that doesn't tell you anything, but gets you in the mood of a yes. This is a horror musical that is going to be funny and silly. Exactly. All right. This musical has kind of weird things going on about race, and there are things that are, like, for the most part, not part of the script. But you have Crystal Ronette and Chiffon, who are these three, quote-unquote, street urchins mm-hmm. who are, they're a Greek chorus, they're a doo-wop band. It's like if the Supremes were a Greek chorus, is yes. is exactly this. Or the Shangri-Las, as the script likes or, to call them. it's very much like white people and then... These three black women who are like super talented, just kind of following them around and being backup. Well, also, the singing voice of Audrey is like, I'm a big tough black guy, is a traditional way it is cast. And I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying, like, why well, can't Audrey be black? So, the main character, one of the main characters in this show is a plant, and it has a singing voice, and it has a lot of puppeteers. If you put aside the plant and all of the puppeteers and the vo- vocals, then you only need a cast of seven. We got the three street urchins. Right. We got Mushnik. Yes. We got Audrey. Yes. We got Seymour. Right. We got the dentist who also plays all of the other individual, like, major speaking roles. Right. And then the rest of the little speaking roles are distributed to people who are going to be puppeteers later on in the show. Okay, fine. Uh, I'll, I'll, it's yes. a It's a bare bone bones show. Or you can make it a really big cast if you want to cast the entire sophomore class. Hey, do you like the opening number, Little Shop of Horrors, in which the street urchins set up the premise that we are about to be hearing a spooky tale of murder? It's so much fun. But the voiceover kind of starts in the way of a classic B-movie to get you in that mood. It, it, it's very, it's a very serious, things are awful or going to be type of thing. And then we go into our framing song and then we meet our, our main characters. Yeah, it's great. So that's 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 all I can say. I, Alan Menken is not the most sophisticated composer. He never was. Lord knows at this point he's not going no, to be. You can, you he's, can even he's already hit his peak. But he's at his best element when he's playing into these genres. I mean, we talked about Andrew Lloyd Webber um, writing in the forms of other genres and about how it's a little bit embarrassing. When Alan Menken does like fake gospel, like in Hercules, or in this case, fake like girl group doo-wop, it's so fun. Yeah. It really works. Yes, that's all I got on that. And so we have the song Skid Row, Downtown, which is so fun. It's amazing. It's such a good song. Like, I couldn't pick, I don't know which of these two songs is my favorite. Probably Skid Row. Yeah. Okay. It's mine. There we go. It's mine. So 
first of all, it is the first number and one of only two numbers that actually have the entire cast on stage singing a song. And you're introduced to the entire There's no room for the cast. It's a big-ass puppet. Not yet. <laughs> the entire neighborhood, theoretically, of these eight people um, on stage. And you're meeting your main characters, Audrey, Seymour, and Mushnick. And it kind of evokes the opening song, Bell, in Beauty and the Beast, which also has fond memories. So I think part of that is makes me think... Skid Row is amazing because it's like you're in a you're in a Disney musical. Well, all right. So we have Mushnik, who's this old Jewish guy who runs a flower shop and is a little bit of a Jewish negative stereotype, but well, whatever. Jewish well, character. The, the original wrote him. the original 1960s film actually yeah. it was based a lot on Yiddish humor. So we have Mushnik who runs a flower shop, Seymour, who is his assistant, who is an orphan that he sort of raised, but. Yeah. They don't have a particularly cordial relationship. And Seymour's co-worker is Audrey, who is a young woman who is fond of tight blouses and emotionally abusive relationships. And Seymour is secretly madly in love with her. And she, as we all learn, she kind of likes him too. And they all just want to leave Skid Row. It's a song about how they want to get out of there. Um so they run this flower shop that no one really ever goes to, and Seymour... Who uh, has time for flowers in Skid Row? I mean, really, but Seymour gets a mysterious plant, and it looks like a Venus flytrap. And someone says, what a, a weird plant, where is it from? And so he sings the song, Dadu. He well, doesn't sing it. He doesn't, well... Our Greek chorus. Our Greek chorus, he, I just keep... Chiffon, Ranette, Crystal. Anyway, uh... They sing back up in a song that's like scat, like boop. I don't know if I'd call it scat. It's just it's it's just like classic backup in yeah. a, like those fifties, sixties groups. A joke that was very cleverly done, but like, uh, did you have to? Is he mentions that he's in a f- flower shop owned by a Chinese gentleman and the Chang women? Da-do. Yes, that is that is what they do, and it's funny because. Chang sounds like just sort of doo-wop onomatopoeia, but it's uncomfortable. Um, just a bit. I think that's all my racial complaints, though. We have them all out now at the top of Act One. Um, but see, there aren't other races there. But it's this. This song is really funny. I mean, the tone of this musical is it's trying really hard to be silly, which is cool. So Seymour says. You know, I was in this flower shop, and all of a sudden there was a light from outer space. Like, how would he know that? And he's like, and then a sound from uh, from outer space. Excuse me, but t- then there was a total eclipse of the sun. Yeah. That was a weird chanting it. And this plant is there, and he buys it for like two bucks. So he names the plant Audrey too, and he says this plant is so weird it'll attract attention to our flower shop, which it already did. And this one, this guy who came into the store says, well, since I'm here already, I'll buy $50 of roses. And they're like, we don't even have change for the 100 that you've got, so he'll buy $100 of roses. Everything is working. Except for the fact that the plant is dying. Uh, the plant is not taking to general plant care, so Seymour sings Grow For Me, which, okay, is the song meant to be a double entendre? We just got to put it out there. I, I don't think it is. Also because of the puns that he throws in there. The lyric in there that, oh God, how I missed you. Oh God, how you tease. 
maybe no, every not, other line he's trying to I'm do not something. I'm saying every other line. I'm saying one or two lines. I'm just saying. Okay. But in the course of the song, which is a great song, Seymour figures out that what the plant wants is blood. And he yes. goes, I'll give you a few drops of my blood. Like, as, as long as you don't make a habit of it or anything. I love Howard Ashman for throwing in words that you'll never find in most other lyrics. Like, I'll give you a few drops if that'll appease. I thought, is he still writing to the character's language? Would they be talking this way? And he somehow makes it. Yeah. It doesn't sound like uneducated characters using words that are too fancy for them. Right. Well, in fairness, he wrote, he also wrote the entire book, so he wrote yeah, those but I mean, but, too. But yes, but he still he he finds a balance. Yeah. that I think is really neat. Although, can we talk quickly about about the plant and, and so it was designed by a Jim Henson puppeteer, Martin P. Robinson, for the original production, and he actually went on to play the original. He designed Audrey not Audrey two in four different stages, and then played him on stage. You're a nerd. I know. So Audrey too, feeding on a diet of Seymour's blood is getting bigger and turning into a puppet. Puppet two. We're up to puppet two. Audrey two is puppet two. Yeah, because the first puppet you had to just put down and then over a small hole that someone behind would put their hand in after he put it down. After that, it becomes a puppet that he can hold and it has a fake arm around it and his hand, um, Seymour's hand actually goes in to control it. Do you remember the Forbidden Broadway song? Instead of you gotta get a gimmick, you gotta get a puppet? No. So we're up to you never know. Okay, so after after it started growing, we find out that people have been coming into the store and a lot of things have been co- going on and he actually gets asked onto a radio show, which we hear the end of, that is getting great news about this new weird plant called Audrey 2, who he's obviously named after Audrey, uh, in case you haven't figured that out yet. We haven't said it. So... We have a song, really Mushnik's first time getting to actually properly sing a bit, um, backed up by the urchin singing about how you never know what someone might do in their lives. I mean, it's just a blend, but now Seymour is starting to bring in business to the um, to his failing shop. Fun fact, Lee Wilkoff, who is the original Seymour, Seymour off-Broadway, eventually played Mushnik. Did he? Mm-hmm. That's fun. So do you like You Never Know? parts of it i i prefer what they did with it in the movie which was they kind of pared it down and just used the part that was the little shop of horrors reprise i I like it but i also it also contains my least favorite lyric Ooh, okay so we'll come back to that later one thing i love about howard ashman is i remember this interview with him where he said listen let me tell you what my want song is i mean this is musical theater 101 he goes you have the heroine at the beginning of the show. She sings a song about what she wants. You're on her side for the rest of the show. It's right. like, think of Little Mermaid. Yes. We, like, Ariel is already an annoying, like, not good Disney princess. Imagine how much less we would like her if she didn't have part of that world. Part of your world. So this is a, one of his really early incarnations of that, relatively towards the top of his career, um, with Somewhere That's Green, is that Audrey sings to the street urchins about how she does like Seymour and she has dreams of settling down with him and moving up from being poor to lower middle class. Yes. Well, so it's fascinating. I love how, I love how sweet this song right. is. Right. The premise of the song is that the things she wants are not actually nice things. Like she wants 
a sink garbage disposable and a chain link fence in a house off the interstate. Not fancy like Levittown. Yeah. It would just be me, the toaster, the toaster. and a sweet little guy. Not a big guy, just a, you know, like Seymour. Her wants right. make every, it, it's very humbling and very sweet. Yeah, she's very sweet. She's not she too bright. She looks like Betty Crocker and out of a like box. And she looks like Donna Reed. <laughs> she plays the song so straight and so sweet that you really care for her. And that's why I don't like at the end when everyone dies. All right. Um, Howard Ashman is has written up that it, the way that he's written this show, because some of it can be so soppy, some of it can be so campy, to always play it sincerely. And it really shows when you, when these right, characters Right, but I don't playing. want to be, I don't want to, like, I can handle a tragic show like Les Mis where the characters we love die and we get some sort of grand meeting about it and a message. And this is just, like, a bunch of people that you're going to care about. They died, their death is meaningless, and the earth is probably doomed. This is a silly show starring a puppet, and it is emotionally difficult for me to get through. Let it be hand known that yeah, Harrison just put a comforting hand on my shoulder. Anyway, uh, the store is doing so well that we get closed for renovation, which is a fun, sprightly little song about how well the flower shop is doing. And it's a cute number. Um, so we've been hearing about Audrey's abusive boyfriend, and we finally meet him. Oren Scrivello. It has to be some sort of pun, right? Does it? Because it's not the original name of the dentist in the original film. Right. Fun fact, guys. Original film had... Um, Jack Nicholson as a masochistic dental patient. That role was cut for the show, but brought back in by Bill Murray in the remake musical film. Oh, yes. Scorvello is an elephant's tusk. Oh. So, yes. It is a pun. And Orin, I guess, sounds like oral, maybe. Probably. Peak of Steve Martin's career. No, so we get Orin Scorvello. He pulls up. He has a motorcycle, a leather jacket. He's mean. He's there to pick up Audrey. He's the leader of the plaque. Yes. God. Ha ha. It turns out he's a dentist and we get the song Dentist! Exclamation mark. Dentist is one of the songs that I come back to over and over again. Oh my God. It is so good. Uh, you don't like it? I love it. But I also, once again, remember my my unfortunate sadness with this show is Dentist. No, it's oh, a right. great- Oh, right. You're like scared of Dentist because of the no, show. I'm not scared of Dentist, but- you kind of really start to like to hate him because of this song. Oh, he's a great villain. Yeah. He really is. It's a, it's a great villain song. Especially because is... you get his background. It's like, Mama well, okay, said that. That's a weird thing about this song that sort of confuses me is he's a sadistic sociopath, but he really loves his mom. He really loves his mom. And he took his mom's advice and became a dentist because he liked causing pain to yeah, cats so, and dogs so and... The, similar to how audrey has to carry a song that's one joke with somewhere that's green mm-hmm. he has to carry a song that's one joke with who would be a, a dentist obviously a sadist but uh she carries it by being sweet and playing it straight and he carries it by being completely over the top chewing the scenery and by the lyrics having a lot of really fantastic jokes Yes. Like, who would want their teeth fixed by the Marquis de Sade? Yes. And as you pointed out, the leader of the plaque. That we end with some audience participation. Say, ah. Ah. Thank you, audience. No, he goes, now spit. Which is... Ugh. Hopefully you didn't do, because your neighbor you don't do would that. not be happy. Um, so, meanwhile, Seymour continues to be on the up and up, and... 
Mushnik gets nervous because he realizes Seymour has so many opportunities and he's not tied to the business in the same way that he is. Seymour could essentially walk away from right. Mushnik's flowers. So he says, All Everyone right. knows the plant is his, not, not Mushnik's. Right. So Mushnik agrees to adopt Seymour. And Seymour's like, you didn't like me ever. And Mushnik's like, nonsense. Be my son. But Seymour's so meek that he um, decides, okay, Hasn't sure. Hasn't just winked at me. Because of meek. I get it. Yeah. Because there's a song called The Meek Shall Inherit in the yes. musical, but you winked. Anyway. I did wink. So Seymour accepts uh, Mushnik and Son is fine. It's it's not nearly one of my favorites. It's a song. Meanwhile, Seymour's getting anemic. Um, and <laughs> I mean, he like... I know. It just sounds like a weird thing to say. Meanwhile, Seymour was becoming anemic. Uh, finally... Audrey just says, feed me. You mean Audrey 2? It's getting really confusing. <laughs> Seymour often calls Audrey 2 Tui. Let's try uh, Tui. Whatever. Uh, Audrey 2 speaks and straight up starts having conversation with Seymour, who takes this very much in stride. So, for example, feed me, get it. Get it. Yeah. It's a really, really good song, and I just can't listen to it too often i have to be in the right headspace i'll say though this song is where seymour is convinced to give into well um, the faustian legend basically we have to mention faust because they mention faust that this musical is partially a parody of the faust legend of giving into the devil in order to get what you want because audrey too or tui promises that if Seymour will feed him or her it. Him. They, they refer to um, Tatui as a her a lot also. What? Because of Audrey. Z. Um, that if Seymour will keep get, bringing food, warm, fresh blood and flesh. Must be blood. Must be must fresh. Be. Or just flesh in this case. Um, then he'll get whatever he wants. Like love from Audrey and... Fame and, and power and fortune. But Seymour's not fully convinced. The, that, that's my favorite part of the song is his I oh, don't know yes. hook. It's the most rock power, right, it power ballad in the entire musical. But it functions very much in the sort of genre satire. So it's great the sort of point counterpoint fitting into these existing pop music tropes. Mm -hmm. But they feel really natural. Like they're they're totally unforced, and it's right. great, and and it's also the collaboration with so Ashman. So Tui convinces Seymour that hey, Orin Scrivello DDS, he kind of is that person who deserves to die. He's not he wrong. He treats Audrey, he smacks Audrey in front of him. So Seymour seems super into it. So he goes to confront Orin in his dental office to kill him, and he starts kind of getting nervous about it. You know, we've already covered Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and in terms of nice guy serial killers, Seymour is not as likable as Monty Navarro. Monty is at least committed He's charming. to it, and Seymour is a passive-aggressive, oh. but he has like kind of, it's not exactly nice guy syndrome, but he has this sort of put-upon... Oh, like self-pitying right. and he won't step up about anything anyway um so when i say seymour doesn't commit to a murder he has a gun he figures he'll shoot the dentist but orin gets is getting high on nitrous well, no, oxide he, he gets high on nitrous oxide to prepare to forcibly 
perform dental surgery on Seymour. To be fair, even though it would hurt and be terrible, I feel like Orin would do a good job and Seymour could probably use the dental work. And Seymour is poor. He probably hasn't been to a dentist in years. If ever. Anyway, but just by complete coincidence, uh, Orin gets stuck with the, the laughing gas pumping Mask. into him, and he says, I'm going to asphyxiate and die. And we have now, parentheses, it's just the gas. Uh, I kind of love parts of this song. I would like to. It's just like, oh my God, a dude is asphyxiating. I know, I know, I know. And, you know, and the, the joke of this song is because it's laughing gas. He's saying, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I'm dying. He has right. to really sell this. Like, yeah, whoever it's, the actor it's is. very hard. But what I really like about the song is how that they almost make it a circus style music. It feels almost like a circus, what he's singing. Like, everything's fun. We're laughing. Do you like that Seymour says he can kill him by laissez-faire? Yes. Simple laissez-faire. Right, which is an example of a lyric where you're saying, why would Seymour know laissez-faire? And you don't even care. No. So, Orin dies. And Seymour is like, great, and feeds him to the plant. And we have a really fun act one finale. Oh, God. Also, I am terrified of well-placed maniacal laughter. And that comes up several times in the cast recording. Things that are designed to scare people, like, hit all of my buttons. This musical is difficult. So, intermission. And so that you guys can all take a pause for intermission. Howard Ashman. And we're on to act two. So act two starts with Call Back in the Morning, which is this fun patter song of Seymour and Audrey, that is Audrey One, trying to keep up with the booming business of Mushnik and Son flower situation. My only question during the song is, did he hire other people to work the front of the house? I was wondering, I was assuming when they said the flowers will be there in the morning, I assuming he contracts outside delivery people. Yeah, but also people walking into the store. If they've been doing this all day, working the Maybe phones, Maybe they don't the take walk-ins them. anymore. Maybe it's like those fancy cake boss type people. I don't know. Don't think too hard about I, it's, it. It's, moving on. Hey, do you want a karaoke song? Yes. All right. You got the show's karaoke song. So Audrey and Seymour confess their love to one another, and we get suddenly Seymour. It's it's so well written. So this is the thing where I said, should Seymour be a nice, is he a quote unquote nice guy? He's like, you don't need makeup, Audrey. I love you for being beautiful. You know, who are you to tell her not to wear makeup? But I don't care. I don't care. He's sweet and kind of awful. She's sweet and kind of dumb. And they're really sweet together, and the song is just so nice. One of the lines leading up to this song, she talks about how when things were worse, she was she was worse. Than, like, oh, the key she, change. She was wearing Sorry. awful things, not nice things like these. Well, she she references right before the song. No, that she's working in the gutter. Well, that yeah, that she's been a that she's been a sex worker, and yeah, Seymour says, "I don't care, I still love you," and so it's 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 a very nice song. Um, I'm still thinking about the key change and suddenly Seymour. Yes. But unfortunately, Seymour is worried that she only likes him because of the success that he's achieved because of Audrey too, and that therefore uh, having Audrey is only going to equal more murder. For example, Mushnik realizes that Seymour and Audrey are together, and he confronts him. And he says, everyone knows the dentist disappeared. You're kissing his girlfriend. There's little red dots on the floor of this room. And also, here's a dentist uniform. Yeah, uh, because Skid Row is such an awful neighborhood that garbage only gets taken out once a month. It's like uh, You don't expect someone like Seymour to succeed. 
No, you really don't. So, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even gonna try to fight for that. So, so we have supper time, in which Mushnik tells Seymour, "Come with me to the police and tell them what's going on, and that way we can know that you didn't kill him, and all the information will be out there." And the plants sing in Seymour. He knows what's going on. You gotta feed him. Well, to actually, me. it starts off. Um, it's written that actually, that are sung by Tui are actually supposed to be his thoughts, his right. actual thoughts of, oh no, he's figured me out. Well, he, he can he can hear this and Mushnik cannot, but he tricks Mushnik into climbing into the plant. The plant eats Mushnik. I don't like listening to the cast recording. Mushnik's like yelling and the plant is chewing and it's really awful. And like, at least Orin's death was fun because he was awful. And even though Mushnik isn't nice, like he you has really his moments. Yeah. I don't want, you don't want him to die. I like this musical. It's a good musical. And Suppertime's a good song. It really is. It's a good song. I just, I can't. I can't. Although I'll admit, a lot of it's creepy. It's creepy. Even even the backup from the urchins. Oh. Suppertime. And the living is easy. <laughs> so meanwhile, more and more people keep accosting Seymour for, you know, TV deals, interviews. And the song is The Meek Shall Inherit. Which is a good song. It's, it's a, a fun song, you know, but it's, but I think the main fun part about this song is when you're seeing it performed because you have three different roles of people who are coming in to convince Seymour to do their different things. Oh, and they're, on the all cover of Life. and they're all traditionally played by the guy who played the dentist. Yes, they're all played by the same person. So Seymour and Audrey talk, and well, he says, would you love me even if I didn't have all this? And Audrey says, of course. And he goes, all right, then I have to kill the plant right? because I can't kill any more people. Unfortunately, before he gets a chance, we have Samanex slash Supper Time 2, in which Audrey shows up in the floral shop in the middle of the night because she needs to talk to Seymour. I guess he, like, lives and there. Yes, he does. But unfortunately, she has taken a Samanex, so she's not actually in her brightest mind. A Samanex is a sleeping pill. Yeah, I mean, also, she's just not that bright. And, and also, she's not that bright. So, to be fair, she's not as stupid as she could be. She's no, at least true. wary. The plant starts talking to her and says, hey, Audrey, I'm Audrey, too. Want to feed me some water? And she's like, I don't know if I should. And he sweet talks yeah. her into it. It takes about as much effort to get her to give him water as, as it took to get Seymour, Seymour to, to murder people. Yes. So, you know, who's the smarter of the two? Audrey. One. I mean, Audrey, too, is obviously yeah. smarter than everyone. So Audrey, while trying to water the plant, gets eaten. Well, gets scooped she up into Audrey Two's mouth. Uh. Chomp, chomp. And Seymour rushes in, grabs her legs and pulls her out. Just in the nick of time, or so we think. She's dying. She's dying. And, and how is this musical supposed to be funny and silly and we're also supposed to feel bad for this character? But it is. So when there was a playing Broadway uh, toward the end of the run, you know, over 10 years ago, I read a New York Times article, I think it was Ben Brantley, where he was talking about what a depressing season it was on Broadway in terms of content. And he said, you know, the only show that I left this past month leaving feeling good and upbeat was Little Shop of Horrors. It was the only fun show that leaves you feeling in a good mood. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't care that it's funny at the end. I'm bummed. <sighs> but it has one. I'm bummed th and this, I creeped out. This part out. has one of my favorite lines in the book which is that she said uh, oh, yeah. when i die, die which, which should, should be, be very, very shortly. shortly like 
she's done this before and she's coaching Seymour through this. What Audrey says is, feed me to the plant because the plant brought you all of these wonderful things and that way I can be part of the plant and I can be with you, which is stupid. I mean, she's dying. Oh, no, it really is stupid. But what what is cute is that she goes, I'll be somewhere that's green and she's never going to get to suburbia, so she gets up. To be, part, to be of part of a plant, he Audrey. does. Yeah, he does feed Audrey to Audrey too. He does it. He yeah. Anyway, the music behind it's like epic. Yeah, and it also kind of reminds me like, of it, the music. Actually, reminds me a bit of Climb Every Mountain. Oh, I was going to say Climb it reminds me of Rocky Horror Picture Show when oh, Frank dies. Yes. yes, and also yes. then you have the B movie tie-ins yes. of the death of the love interest. So mm-hmm. anyway, as I was saying. Um, a guy comes in and ready to take make clippings of Audrey too, to then distribute little clippings to make Audrey twos all over the country. Every home will own an a, an Audrey too. And Seymour realizes Audrey two is bent on total world domination and eating everyone. To which Audrey two says, "No shit, Sherlock." Language. So Seymour says, all right, I got to kill this plant and nothing's working. So he says, I'll climb inside the plant and kill it from the inside. With a knife. With a knife, which isn't, I mean. It's an idea. It's an idea, but there's no. It's, well, a, in, it's, it's a very yeah. last ditch idea. It's either it's going to work or not. Yes. It doesn't work. It doesn't. He spits up the, um, Audrey too spits up the knife. Uh, and, no, yeah. and, and not Seymour. Uh so meanwhile, Siobhan, Crystal, and Ronette are helping the guy cut the plant samples and send them out. And we get finale ultimo, don't feed the plants. It first starts off kind of tying back into the very, very beginning of our first opening number, which has the um, it has the same music in the background of the voiceover. But then we have the the urchins talking about what has happened since which is that little audrey too started becoming bigger audrey twos all over the country and ready to eat everyone and then audrey too opens up different large petals and it turns out that the faces of the four people that we've seen eaten are there on the petals and they sing about how no matter what you get offered don't feed the plants. <laughs> well, but okay, here is what I love about Finale Ultimo. It brings back I'm our sorry. framing device in a really interesting way. You referenced how it re- sounds like right. the B movie. And then it kind of it kind of merges the two what into I one final ending. Sorry, I wanted to say that. Is, it's a parody. It's not that the plants have succeeded in taking over the planet. It's that they might, and our only hope is to stop feeding them. It feels like a corny educational film. And that, for me, kind of puts everything into context, including the characterizations of Audrey and Seymour, even though the ending number is supposed to terrify us some more, which it does, depending on which production you're in, the puppet is somehow supposed to menace the audience. Well, no, yeah, it's supposed to move out towards the audience, and then at a certain point, vines are supposed to drop from the ceiling yeah, and boxes dep- dep- over the oh, audience. No. In the original off-Broadway production, they did that. But I really like the idea that it's a cautionary tale, because in the movie, there are two endings. There's the theatrical ending where they defeat Audrey too. And there's the cut ending where Audrey 2 takes over the world. Yes. And we, and we have Don't Feed the Plants. And that's the musical. Yeah. Although I'll remind you that even, in, even while they're singing about not feeding the plants as part of the plant, Audrey and Seymour do sing the lines, we'll have tomorrow. So. That's, that's true. 
so also we were going uh, according to the Broadway uh, cast album like in terms of song in terms of songs there's very little difference between off-broadway broadway that said there have been a whole number of cut songs um i would recommend the worse he treats me oh we didn't mention mean green mother we don't have to it's a song it's in the movie people like it yeah nominated for an oscar did not win the oscar uh, our conversation about the tonys is going to be brief when it opened finally on broadway it couldn't really count for anything. The only nomination it got, which it did not win, was Hunter Foster for leading actor in a musical. This is the second time Hunter Foster has come up on this podcast, and we have never covered a, an iconic Sutton musical. I don't want to talk about the, the cast too much overall, because wait, even, the, even though, for example, Ellen Green, iconic, etc. Yeah, you know what? Let's talk about the drama desks since it's not, since we can't really well, talk we about the Tonys. We sure to talk about the drama desks. So the original off-Broadway production actually was the only off-Broadway show to ever win Best Musical. And and the, the lyrics won versus T.S. Eliot. You're giving cats too much credit. I know. All right. So uh, let's go on to... Lyricos. Is that the word for lyrics in Spanish? I don't think it is. Harrison, what is your least favorite lyric? My least favorite lyric is in You Never Know, and it is when he says um, that he's feeding his blood to this plant. He says, something out of Edgar Allan Poe happens. I, I really hate the fact that how this show functions is as a parody, and then it starts com- literally comparing itself to other things. And it, it uh-huh. takes me out of it at that second every time. But Poe is so dramatic and over the top and goth. There are a lot of references to other outside things, like like Audrey too says, "We're not in Kansas." What is your least favorite lyric? I had a really hard time picking a least favorite lyric. One because the lyrics are so good. Because I feel like I'm not allowed to criticize Howard Ashman. So I just decided to go with one lyric that is actually not a lyric I dislike, but I decided to nitpick. Um, it's in Dentist. Somewhere in heaven above me, I know that my mama's proud of me. The emphasis on of, it doesn't really scan. My mama's proud of me. It should be my mama's proud of me, but then it doesn't work with the score, but they just kind of let it sit there. But once you let it bother you, it can continue to bother you. What is your favorite lyric? I was having a lot of trouble with this too. But I think I really always came back to this one, and it's subsequent to the events you have just witnessed. Similar events in cities across America, events which bore a striking resemblance to the ones you have just seen began occurring. And the way that they ha- they sing it makes you feel, oh yeah, this is super... Su- I also like how the cities that have been eaten, it's New York City, but then it's random random cities in the Midwest. I had another lyric that I was thinking about. Um, It was in Skid Row when they, uh, on that list of, um, I'd move heaven and hell to get out of Skid. I do, I don't know what to get out of Skid. Yeah, that's a great lyric. Holy crap, they really want to get out of this place. There's desperation here, and that is so clear. Um. So my favorite lyric, I was surprised by what I ended up picking because I was like, there's so many creative lyrics. There are. And I guess my choice is emotional, but really I was kind of surprised because it's just so to the point is when Seymour decides that he's going to kill the dentist, 
he sings with Audrey too, the guy sure looks like plant food to me. And they sing it like three times. And the guy maybe, sure looks like plant food to me. The guy sure looks like plant food is this to the me. Heavy, is this the punk rock version? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Just something about it sort of sort of hits on exactly the nerve that the show is touching in terms of the tone it's going I'm for. I'm impressed that this is in the terms of being, you are picking out personally. I know. Personally. It just, for some, I mean, it works because it's Oren and because I don't like him. But it's bombastic. It's to the point, but it's expressive. I just love it. It is very straight straightforward okay harrison thank you for coming back on the show thank you for having me back this has been exciting and fun this has been exciting and fun and not as stressful as it could have been i don't do much but if you want to follow me you can follow me at harry benjamin where the h is an 11 and the b is an 8 excellent i would like to urge our fair listeners to check out our website we have a website we have a website it's a website it you can listen to all of the episodes you can read about all of our hosts, both me and guest hosts. Yeah. Uh, the website is paltal, as in pick little talk little podcast, all one word, dot weebly.com. Also, rate and review us on iTunes. Review us positively and rate us five stars. To make your natural tendencies pay, you'll be a dentist. Thanks for listening to Pick Little Talk a Little. You can follow us on Twitter at Paltal Podcast, as in P A L T A L. Email us at paltalpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Pick a little, talk a little. We are produced and edited by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. You can find her at rachel jacobs.com or on Twitter at WTFRJK. I've been your host, Gabrielle Gazelowitz. I'm at gabriellegazelowitz.com, which is spelled in a way that you probably wouldn't guess. And I'm on Twitter at Gabby Gazelowitz. So see if you can find me. So until next time, and as they say in Catch Me If You Can, the word that's music to my ears is goodbye. Well, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And it's funny because it says in the early part of a decade, not too long before our own, and it's generally 50s aesthetic, but since it's 2016, it could be like 1981. Can you imagine like late stage disco Audrey?